We have been doing this series called Living Stones, right? And um, it comes from this passage in 1 Peter 2, 4, 5, because we had met as a leadership team and said, God, what do you have for us this year? What do you want us to focus in on as Antioch Community Church? What do you, what, how do you want us to kind of align our resources, our ideas, our strategies? Because we had some pretty good ideas about what to do this year, but really wanted God to speak into that, and so he gave us a lot of clarity. So it comes from 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're with us the first few weeks, what we talked about in week one was, in the verses leading up to this, Peter actually says, hey, first you need to put away these sins. You need to put away envy and hypocrisy and these different issues so that you can actually become living stones. You've actually got to put away the stuff, meaning you've got to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, take this stuff away. I'm turning from that old lifestyle. I'm now turning towards you. I was just a stone, but now getting connected to you, Jesus, now I'm a stone that's alive. I'm a living stone. The scriptures speak to Jesus being the cornerstone, reference to him in the Old Testament, New Testament, meaning that literally the cornerstone of a building actually squares the building up and everything else actually bears, it actually bears the weight of everything else connected to it. It is so, it, like that cornerstone is the most unique piece in the entire literal stone building structure. And so Jesus being that chief living cornerstone, we then by default get to be alive because we're connected to him. But you have to put away the sin. I call it the Fab Five. It's in there. All of us have probably done one of them or all five of them. And you put that stuff away so you can then turn to him. And then it says in the next few verses, come to him. Come to Jesus. So it's about putting away the old and coming to Jesus who's going to give you new life. That's what we talked about in week one. And then in week two, last week, we talked about us becoming the spiritual house. The spiritual house. And, and, and if you think about how a house is built is that you have bricks and you have stone and you have these mortar joints and these mortar joints are all kind of interconnected. And, and the whole picture there is that, guess what? You can't just be solo Christian. You've actually got to be connected to the body of Christ. You've got to be connected to the church. You can love Jesus and love God. It's different than loving him and obeying him. Loving Jesus, you can do that. But to actually obey him means you've actually got to be connected to his body. And Jesus did say, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Ouch, right? So it's like, wow. You love Jesus, that's great. What church are you part of? None. Okay, let's go back again. You love Jesus, that's great. What church are you part of? I'm not part of one. I, I gave up church. Well, why? Well, I don't know, because someone hurt my feelings. Well, Jesus said the church is his bride, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So I know people have issues, and people usually hurt people, but Jesus didn't hurt you. He saved you, and he says, be part of my bride. And by the way, church is messy. And if you ever do masonry, and you ever put brick and mortar together, it's kind of messy. Right? And so it's just going to be messy. And so, but the call is not to, not, not to avoid the mess. The call is to get into the mess. And as we get into the mess, Jesus starts shaping us, cleaning us up. And it's like, oh, this is good. So it's good to be part of the spiritual house. And the house is not built by one brick or one stone. It's built with walls. It's built with multiple pieces put together. And that is you. You are living stones. Be connected back to him. And then today we're going to emphasize this piece about being a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. So if you came in today wondering, wow, what title is going to give us today? Now you're part of the holy priesthood. Some of you guys are, I don't know, that makes me squirmy, you know. But by the end, you'll want to be part of this holy priesthood, all right? This idea comes from the Old Testament. So I want to reference Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. This is God speaking to Moses, and it says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
So God's speaking to Moses. It's around the whole Ten Commandments time, going to Mount Sinai, this whole interaction. And he says, tell the people, you're, you're meant to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, what happened? Because as we know, um, Israel had its ups and downs, right? It had its glory years and had its years in captivity and exile. It had its years where everything's going well and the years where everything's going bad, right? It had, they had friends and they had enemies. There's this up and down roller coaster. So what happened? Well, what happened was that because Israel, they defied God in lots of ways and they didn't obey him many times, the Lord actually eventually said, hey, you know what? Through Aaron, who was, by the way, um, Moses' right-hand man, through Aaron, I'm now going to establish this actual priesthood so his sons and his descendants will then become this priesthood. And by the way, I'm going to connect them with the tribe of Levi, of which his descendants were part of. And so you had Aaron and his descendants and the tribe of Levi. You had 12 tribes of Israel, okay, like Issachar and these other ones you can't spell. Um, and so you had these 12 tribes, right? They're all there. These are the tribes pulled together. And so he said, Levi, guess what? You guys aren't going to go to battle. You guys aren't going to work in all the fields and stuff, but you're going to be the priest tribe. So if you were born into being a Levite, that's just what you got given to you. And so you have this idea of the Lord establishing, wanting to establish an entire nation, but ended up what ended up happening was it established a tribe within the nation, right? So this is what happened. So we had this idea of a kingdom priest. Now, you have to know that in this priestly service, they had a few main things they were doing, which would, I would, you can kind of summarize into worship and teaching, meaning that they were, they were responsible for the upkeep of the sanctuary, the tabernacle. There's different rituals and ordinances and things they had to do at the temple and these different things. So that's what, the, that's what you did. If you were part of the Levitical priesthood, if you were part of that tribe, that's what you did. You also were responsible for stewarding the Ten Commandments and the laws that God had passed down to the people of Israel as a way to function to teach those, right? So they became the teachers. They became the people that said, hey, this is how we're to act. This is not how we're supposed to act. So they became the teachers and the preachers in a sense of their day. This is what was established. Now, let's unpack this idea of the phrase holy priesthood. Let's start out with holy, right? Because he did say, I want you to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, what does that mean? Um, holiness, there's kind of Two ways to look at holiness. Step one in holiness is you are holy because Jesus has made you holy. That's called positional holiness, right? So you are, by position, you are now made holy, not because of what you did, not because of how many people you were nice to or how many thank you letters you wrote or because of how many times you prayed or fasted or worshiped or read your Bible or how many times you shaved or how many times you did this, that, the other. Most religions around the world actually build the notion off of you are holy only if you earn the right to be holy, and you do enough good stuff to outweigh all the unholy stuff. And let me just say, you ask anyone, they actually don't really know when you've done enough. Like, how much holiness do you have to do in order to kind of get out of jail? Well, I don't know. You just kind of hope for the best, right? I don't want to live that way. I'd rather say someone actually said, hey, I'm going to make you holy because of what I did on the cross. My finished work on the cross, Jesus Christ, I died for your sins. I bled for you. I became that sacrifice so that you didn't have to be, and I took on all of your junk, and then I made you holy. So you have to know the positional holiness is you are made holy because of Jesus, not because of you. But there's a part two to holiness, which is called personal holiness. Personal holiness, which means, or you can say progressive holiness, which means that's actually sanctification. That's a big word that means you are living this stuff out. You are being sanctified by Jesus Christ by obeying him, following him, honoring him, listening to him. You are sanctified when you start aligning your life with him. 
So back to living stones. You have this cornerstone. You get in the wall. You get placed. You get chiseled. You get shaped. That's part of the sanctification process, which kind of hurts sometimes, right? To get chiseled on, to get reshaped, to fit with him can be a little painful, but it is so needed because we want to get in alignment with Jesus. That is called personal holiness. And just in case you forget, there's a step one and step two. You can't pursue the personal holiness and try to do all the right stuff to then try to be holy. Because you are holy, then you live out a holy lifestyle. Does that make any sense? You are already accepted. You are already loved by him. Therefore, now you will live in a loving way. You will live in a courageous way. You will live in a faithful way. Not because you've done it, but because you've received it. Now you get to then distribute that and live that. Now, let me kind of put it this way. I, I think that in Christianity, this is an idea that we do, a lot of times we actually struggle with. Um, I'll give you the illustration of, um, I was reading through an article this last week, and um, uh, the government did a study on prisoners released in 2005, okay, from federal prisons. So there was 401,000 people released from prison in 2005. They then tracked them for the next nine years, from 2005 to 2014. And what they found was that out of the 401,000 people released in 2005, within one year's time, 44% of them were arrested. So released from prison, they know what prison's like. They know, I don't think they want to go back to prison. It's not fun to go back to prison. But somehow, 44% got arrested within the first year. Over the nine-year span, nearly 90% of them all got arrested at least once. And on average, you take the whole of the arrest, broken down by the 401,000 people, and on average, each person was arrested five times in nine years. These are people who were already arrested, already found guilty, already in prison, and then rearrested. I tend to think sometimes in Christianity, we get out of jail by Jesus, we are set free, but then we get arrested again. Like you got put in jail because you were stealing, but then you go steal again. It's like, didn't you learn like that's not the lifestyle? Didn't you know you were set free? But we keep dabbling back in sin. We keep going back to envy and jealousy and sexual morality and drug addiction and hate. And we keep cycling back, but it's like, hold on a second. If you actually knew that you were already set free from that, why are you going back into jail? Like, why are you asking for the guy, can I have keys to get back in there? But that's what we're doing, guys, in a sense. That, that's what we do when we say, I'm saved by Jesus. I'm just not following him. But I was saved by him. Well, amen, brother. Uh, but now you're standing at the gate still. You haven't entered. <clears throat> You're just right there. Hey, he saved me. He opened the gate gate for me. You got to start walking now. So you actually have to start walking. That's called sanctification. When he said to his disciples, hey, drop your nets, come and follow me. They didn't say, "Uh, I'll think about it. I'll come back. Come back next Tuesday, maybe. I'll think about dropping my nets. And then next Tuesday, hey, drop your nets. Well, well, he'll go, but I'm going to stay back. I mean, that's not how it works. The invitation is there to follow him, and either you do or you don't. It's not on anybody else but you. And I know we don't like to hear that because... We like to have excuses, don't we? I mean, I do, right? Like, you're late for work. What's your excuse? We all got one. You're late for school. You forgot about the birthday party. You forgot about the anniversary. I haven't done that, just so you know. But, um, <clears throat> um, but you know, it's like we all like making excuses. But in the kingdom of God, there's no excuses. There's not a Bible verse. Excuses. Bring your excuses to me. I love those. That's not there. We made that one up because we want to justify our unwillingness to obey him. I mean, can't be a holy priesthood if you're just going to pick and choose what you do, what you don't do, when you want to do it. But we're called to be a people, to be a holy people. You know, um, 
Sometimes you may be asking the question, okay, so why does it really matter, Tyler? I mean, why does it matter that I'm, like, pursuing this personal holiness? And what's the big deal? Well, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Oh, well, that makes sense. So the Old Testament, the descendants of Aaron and, and the Levites, their main job was to actually tend to the sanctuary, to the temple. And so the temple, if you imagine, is a structure, and they had kind of three basic chambers. You had the Holy of Holies, okay, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is like the most holy place. Only the high priest, once a year, would enter there. You had this big veil. Then you had this holy place, which, the, which all the Levites, they would then tend to the different things they had going on there. Then you had the outer courts. These kind of three basic chambers. And their main job, think about it this way, their main job was to be like the janitors and the, and the care keeper, and and the keepers of everything go in the sanctuary. It was to keep lamps lit. It was to make sure the floors were clean. It was to make sure everything was polished. It was to make sure this place was really, really nice. And you're wondering, did they, were they all OCD? I mean, what was the issue with these people? No, because they said, God said very strictly, I want this place to look so different than anything in the world that everyone who comes across it says something's different there. It's because God dwells there. I want this place to look so different than your house so that you recognize there is a holy place where God dwells that is clean, that, is, that, that has this amazing aroma that, that, that just feels right. It's like this area where you walk and you're like, whoa, something is here. Something is different. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. He wanted it so pure, so undefiled, so clean. He made all these things to be so strict for the people so that one day we would understand, oh, the Spirit of God dwells in me. So why does God care so much that we actually take care of this? Because that's where he dwells. If he's going to dwell in you, then that means actually you, you are now responsible, not the Levitical tribe, not some other priest, not a pastor, not your friend, not your discipler. You are responsible for the temple being clean. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not the next podcast. It's not someone else's fault. You're responsible for keeping it clean. You are now part of the holy priesthood. Uh-oh. That means you've got work to do. Yes. And that means it's on you to do it. Oh, because he's already made you holy. But now he's saying, will you maintain the holiness? He's made you holy, guys. But are we going to be the janitors going to go sweep and clean daily? All right, Lord, let's sweep through. Come on, what's going on? What are the thoughts? Who am I hating from work? How did my wife anger me yesterday? What are my kids doing that's annoying me? What roommate isn't picking up after himself? Sweep it out, Lord. I know you have all these thoughts every day. Who am I comparing myself to? Who do I wish I had those shoes? A little envy, a little jealousy. I wish I had that haircut. They're dating. I'm not. Oh, my gosh, Lord, here we go. Yeah, we're dabbling it, but you know what? He's given us a place, access to clean it, clean out every day. Say, Lord, oh, I want to come to you. I want this place to be a place where you dwell. You know, um, what's funny about January uh, it's probably over the world, but especially in our country, is January's the time to set goals, right? To kind of start exercising again or start a nutrition plan. Probably half this room, you're on some sort of diet or nutrition plan or some sort of thing. Um, you probably start exercising. Now we are in week three of the year. So there's some of you that said, hey, that kind of fills it out last weekend. And that's cool. No one's going to judge you. Some of y'all are like gun ho I'm doing my four-day, five-day week regimen. And I'm going to say, I am all about health. Let's do it. I am for it. Um, but what often happens is that we don't stick with it. We're all guilty of that. We don't stick with it. Um, and I would say that that would be the secular term. The churchy term would be faithfulness. We're not faithful to finish something. I mean, we're all susceptible to it. 
You know, um, a few years ago around Christmas, there was a big Fitbit craze, right? Everybody got Fitbit. A lot of people did. And I'd seen something I'd never seen in my entire life before in the ensuing months after that Christmas. This is what I saw. People like at an office or at a park doing this. On the phone, talking to someone, hey, how you doing? Yeah, things are great. And then I actually saw people doing this. Never in my life I've seen this. Who was walking backwards. <laughs> Literally, I saw this, like in lots of places, the mall, at this office even. And I'm like, why are you walking in circles? Well, I'm trying to get my steps up. Why? Because I'm competing with my brother. Oh, now listen, I, I would love a Fitbit to beat my brother in something. He usually beats me in everything. If I could like out walk him, that'd be great, okay? So I'm with you. But I don't see a lot of people walking in circles anymore. Do you? I mean, on campus, it was like all over the place. People were just, where are you going? I'm just going to keep walking because I'm trying to win, you know? But it didn't last because <laughs> it, it was just a fad. And, man, we're susceptible to the same thing. We can just go on for a fad, get excited, go to a conference. Hey, you know, you're going to come to World Mandate. Man, feel so alive. Let's do it for a week. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, we're, oh, we all do that, guys. We all have an issue with faithfulness. But, you know, the priests in the Old Testament They had to remain faithful. You know why? Because it was life and death for their nation. When the sanctuary, when the things of the sanctuary were being upheld, were being kept, when God was being honored in worship, guess what? The Lord kept the enemies away. When they started desecrating the temple, when they started doing things that were unholy, when they started making unholy sacrifices, started not keeping things lit, guess what happened? The Syrians, here they come. The Babylonians, here they come. The Romans, here they come. Just look throughout the history when, they were, when the sanctuary was in a right standing where God's presence was dwelling, things were clean and upheld, things were good. People were celebrating. When they started dishonoring him in this place of worship, things went south real fast. In Leviticus 24, 1 through 3, you see, the priests only had a few basic requirements supposed to do on a daily basis, and this is one of them. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly outside the veil of the testimony. In the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Now, let me unpack this for you. One of the daily tasks of the priests was actually actually started before they ever built the actual physical temple, but they just had a tent, was to have these lamps that were constantly lit. Now, again, I broke down to you like the three chambers of the temple, right? To the Holy of Holies. Outside of that, eventually when they built the temple, they had this big veil. And they had multiple lamps there that were supposed to be lit and remain lit 24-7. Now, you ask the question, why? Why to have these lamps lit all the time? Well, first of all, you have to remember that God, this is a place where God dwells. And there is no darkness in God. So to communicate that very clearly to the people, to the city, to the nations who came to Jerusalem, there's always a light on there. It never goes out. So they were charged every morning, every night. In fact, they would actually stay up and do the night shifts to make sure it didn't go out. They were like on guard to make sure the light was always lit. Also, I was reading, and before the age of electricity in our world, in a lot of countries and maybe areas they don't have it still, when someone goes away on a trip or to the city, they're trying to return home at night, what do you do? You take a candle, you light it, you put it in the window. Because people need to know how to find their way back home. You see, the light was always lit. So that not only the lost sheep of Israel could return home and start worshiping God the right way, but also the nations could come and they would see, wow, there's a light there. There's something attractive about that. And guys, for us, that's what God wants. He wants there to be a light in us, a lamp that is lit. That when people see it, they're like, I'm attracted to that. What is that? What do you have? 
What is that hope? What is that joy? It's 4 o'clock on Friday. Shouldn't we all be bailing out and ready to check out? You're still joyful. still working. What is wrong with you? Like there's something different about you. Oh, but I want that. But I want that. So how do, we, how do we keep the oil in the lamp? What does that look like? I felt like the Lord was just sharing with me. Hey, it's first and foremost about my word. Like this is, this is the oil you put in to use the lamp. If you're the lamp, this is the oil you're putting in. You're putting the word of God into you. You're actually reading it for yourself. I know you can listen to me. You can listen to others. You can read different articles. The best thing you do is actually read for yourself. You can slow read. I sometimes just read a couple of verses. That's as far as I get. <laughs> you can read a whole chapter. Read through the whole Bible in a year. I don't know, but get this in you. Like this needs to be your source. Not all the talking points of politics and, and social issues we have and all that sort of stuff. The talking points are here. They're right here, actually. And this is where you go back. This is your foundation. Remember, this is your cornerstone. This is how you build your life off of this, not off of everyone else's ideas. So you have the word of God. And you also have access to hear him. Did you know that God is speaking today by his Holy Spirit? He's speaking to you today. He actually is living and acting. He's actually speaking things to you. So now when I say you can hear the voice of God, don't get weirded out, okay? But here's, here, here's what I mean. God is wanting to speak to people who just come and want to talk to him. Say, so God, what do you have to say about something? He may nudge your heart about something. He may remind you of a memory or a thought or a passage. He may give you a picture from a recent movie you saw that's kind of making the point. I mean, I've had that happen to me so many times where God highlights a film I've seen or a moment, and I'm like, oh, that connects a dot. It's almost like he's like giving me these like, these like mental parables that he's unpacking. I'm like, whoa, okay, I didn't see it like that before. Or you open up the word of God, and you're like, I've read this seven times before, but I never read that. You did read it. You shouldn't see it like that. See, God is speaking to you. He's wanting you to know there is access there is relationship to connect with them. That's how you fill the lamp up, right? That's how you give yourself the oil you need so you keep burning all day long because their job was what? It was to make sure the fire never went out. You gotta keep the fires lit. And that requires faithfulness. Again, in Leviticus 6, it gives us another task they had, a daily task, which was in 6, 12 through 13. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the, of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. The lamp's light is not to go out. The fire on the altar was not to go out. Now, I have a confession for you. Last Sunday, between the services, I preached at the 7 o'clock, and um, we got a brush pile that I've been trying to kind of get rid of, and I'd recently cut down a few things I needed to uh, out, out in our yard. And um, <clears throat> so I was trying to burn them. So I gathered a little pile, made myself a little pit, and I put all the stuff I just cut down a few days prior in the fire. I tried to light it, and I'm like, this isn't working. What is going on here? Well, as a smart person, I went and got some gasoline, and I was like, come on, I need to get this thing lit. i got to preach at 7. got to get this thing going here. So I go out there, throw some gasoline on. The boys are out there, and it's like, poof. They're like, whoa, Dad. I'm like, it's awesome. And then 20 seconds later, it's like gone. I'm like, what just happened? I do it again three or four times. They're like, Dad, this isn't working. I'm like, I know, nine and seven-year-old. I know this is not working. <laughs> Dad is aware this is not working. It's been a long day so far. Dad's not thinking straight. And as I'm doing this, I'm like, gasoline ain't doing it. It just gets burned up like that. And the Lord is like, uh, hello? You can only burn things that are dead. Uh, these trees are still alive. They're still green. You just cut them. They're, they still got moisture. They're still, you only burn dead wood. And I was like, oh, yeah. So me and the boys went out to the woods, grabbed a couple pieces of dead wood, put it on, and presto, it caught on fire. And the Lord is telling me, Tyler, only dead wood burns. 
Only dead wood actually catches on fire. Now, you're thinking to yourself, why is he talking about dead wood? It's supposed to be dead wood. Well, yeah, kind of. Because in Romans 6, 11, it says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Oh, so if I don't empty myself, if I do not die to the sin, I won't catch on fire. In a good sense, I won't be caught up. And it's like, oh, like, the, like this altar is meant to be burning day in and day out. It was not going to catch. They didn't use dead wood. The priest had to bring something dead in order to be caught on fire. You are dead to sin so that you can be alive to God. You can't be alive to sin and try to be alive to God. It doesn't work like that. We have to bring that idea, the daily responsibility of the priest to keep the fires lit so the fire would never go out. We have to bring something. We have to bring our deadness to sin to him. Now, this New Testament reality of the holy priesthood kind of emphasizes a couple of points. This is we're going to wrap up today. is about our identity and our purpose. So we look at this whole idea of, of, of what God was doing in the Old Testament. Let's bring it into the New Testament. Um, our identity. Remember I said earlier that we are holy because Jesus has made us holy. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've accepted him, and you said, Jesus, I, I receive your forgiveness of sins. You have paid the price for me, and you rose from the grave. You defeated death. Man, I want to follow you. I'm in. Come in my heart. Cleanse me, wash me, and change my mind. I'm ready to follow you with my whole heart. If you've done that, you are now made holy, right? And so now you can enter into this lifestyle, but, um, but our, our identity is in him. Like, Jesus, like, in him, I am significant, in him, I am awesome. You can say that about yourself. You can say, I'm awesome, but not by yourself, just in him. Like, I am, I am forgiven. I am secure. I am a saint in Christ. In Christ, I am a priest. In Christ, I can minister to people. In Christ, the enemy has no hold on me. Like, in him, I am really powerful. Without him, I'm in a lot of trouble. You can say any statement you want to say, as long as it's in Christ, and it's true. In Christ, I am able to redeem people. In Christ, I mean, you just, and that's who you are. Your identity is wrapped up in him, back to the cornerstone, wrapped up in him. And guess what? He is the high priest. The scriptures actually talk about there was this whole priest underneath Aaron. But then guess what? When Jesus came, he became the high priest, the ultimate high priest. There's no longer a need for a priest to go in once a year behind this veil. You know why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, it says the temple veil was torn. It was torn. And so we have this opportunity in Christ and our identity. Now we have such great purpose in him. And a purpose for this holy priesthood, a couple of main things for them was to have access to a place of worship. They had access to God so they could actually worship God. You see, the Levites could actually go into these places in the temple. They were, they were, they were ordered. They were, they were obedient to what they were told to do. And they had access to God to be in his presence. And so for us, what does it look like? It looks like us coming into the presence of God, but our posture really matters. Our posture matters. Um, you know, we, we know this, but in the New Testament, it's not about making all the outside look nice. It is the posture of our heart. But as the posture of your heart changes, everything else changes. It's not outside-in change, it's an inside-out change, right? So the posture of a heart, meaning that when you come into a place of worship, let's say on a Sunday morning or a life group, or you're spending time with God by yourself or whatever, do you come in with a posture saying, I'm here to worship, not just to sing along. I'm here to worship, not just to watch. I'm here to participate, not just 
view people playing music and, and be moved by it. I'm here to worship because the priesthood is not about watching something unfold. It's about participating in something happening. So when we talk about coming into his presence, the scriptures speak about coming into his presence with singing. Like, you can sing. You don't have to be a great singer, but you can sing. Like, you can come in with a heart, with a focus. And what we're going to do here in a few minutes is we're going to have a chance just to respond, just, just in worship today. Because we've got to be a people that are committed to learning and growing and how we actually worship. You know, I have been in some settings <clears throat> in my life. The music sounded good. The lighting was good. The words were accurate. The temperature was great in the room. I'm feeling great. This is a great worship environment, you know? And yet you're in there, and five, ten minutes in, you're like, what is going on here? I don't know if anyone's worshiping, including me. It's like, it's like a sing-along. It's, what are we doing? Like, this isn't worship. <clears throat> this is feel-good vibes time. <laughs> not interested in that. And you know what? There's been moments at this church where that's been the case. Where you're there and you're just like, I don't know. It, are people sleeping? Are they, what's, what are we doing here? And sometimes we've had to come up here and say, you know what? We as a people have to worship him. He is deserving of it. He's a creator of the universe. He sent his son to live a life that was perfect and sinless and died an excruciating death. Now so you can come and just watch people sing. He's worth it. I mean, he has to be worth it. If he's, if he's not worth worshiping, I don't know if you really know Jesus. It's like, if he's not really worthy of me giving him anything, and it's like, you know, I'm not the greatest singer, and, and I struggle at times of staying engaged for a while, but you know, he's worth it. He's worth it. It doesn't matter if you're musically inclined or not. I'm not. I like to think I can sing privately, you know, but I don't play anything. But it doesn't matter what your skill set is. It matters what your heart is. And if you're saying, I'm following Jesus, your heart's got to be in it. Say, Lord, I don't care if you raise your hands or sit down or clap or close your eyes or open your eyes. It doesn't really matter. I don't see that that really matters. What matters is the posture of your heart. And when the posture of your heart's right, the expression will come out of your body. Either in reverence, joy, dancing. I don't really care. Because it's not about, you're not worshiping for me. You're worshiping for him. Whatever he's, whatever's welling up inside of you, we're like, let's go for it. It may make the person next to you a little awkward, but that's cool. As long as you're worshiping him. I'm not interested in you putting on a show. I'm interested in you worshiping. That's the difference. People don't get urged when you're worshiping. They get urged when you put on a show. And that's our heart's desire. As we close up today, I'm going to invite the band up. And um, I'm going to have a stand, guys, as we close. You know, this, this year, this, this idea of us being living stones, we, one of the pieces coming out of it is that we want to be a people of praise. We want to be people that actually worship God and that we really learn, that we learn. And I would just say that every one of us in this room, including all the people up here, like, we all could use a little bit of help in learning how to worship God, to learning how to worship with the posture of our hearts, with our minds, with our focus, to literally put the phone down and put distractions away and to say, we're just gonna worship him. And, to, and how, 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 how can we sing? How can we worship God for more than 10 minutes we're able to engage and something's really happening in our hearts? So we're committed to that. We're committed to, to writing songs. We sung one earlier, Living Stones. We're committed to writing songs out of this house to be a people that actually have songs that God is welling up in us. So we're, we're inviting songwriters in. We're encouraging you in this house. Hey, if you've got songs, you, if that's something God's put in your heart, we want to be a people that are actually getting those songs out there and singing them together as a people. We want to equip people in your life groups to actually lead worship, to lead it live. We love iPod, all that sort of stuff. That's great. But we want people to actually say, hey, no, I'm going to lead a time of worship in our group of us 15 or 20 to see where God takes us. We want to increase in that. And ultimately, we want to increase as a church. We want to be a people that actually have confidence in approaching him 
and worshiping him. That it's not a sing-along, it's not a concert. But it's something where we give him praise and we give him honor because, guys, when you do, the trade-off is you get life. You get life. But why do we worship? Because he said, I'm going to give you abundant life. But abundant life comes when we obey him, we worship him, we give him the praise. And again, our purpose, you know, in worship and our access. Just as we worship right now, I just want to remind you that when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn which meant no longer did the Levitical priesthood need to be doing what it was doing. Because Jesus, in a single moment, broke that down and said, hey, we're gonna return back to what God originally said to Moses. I want you to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Instead of that just being for the Jews, Jesus said, it's actually for the Jew and the Gentile. Whichever one is not a Jew, we're all Gentiles. That's, that's, that's the rest of us. No matter what nation, where you're coming from, the expression is that every one of us now has access in the name of Jesus. He made a way for every tribe, tongue, and nation. He made a way for every skin color, every age, every country. If anyone calls upon the name of Jesus, he'll be saved, and he can have access to me. He can have a relationship with me. He doesn't have to go through a priest anymore. He comes straight to me. That's what he provided. And when Jesus died, he wasn't like an animal sacrifice of old. When they would kill an animal, they put it on the altar, they would burn it up, they would transfer their sins of man onto that animal, and that animal would die and stay dead. But Jesus did not stay dead. All of our sins couldn't even keep him down, as weighty as that was. Because on the third day, he said, hey, I'm not like an animal. I'm the son of God. And you killed me, but guess what? I'm coming back to life. Which then shows us, oh, wait, he actually does have power to take on any and everything. If he would have stayed dead, we wouldn't be here today. He didn't rose. He rose and he said, I want you to make disciples. I want you to acknowledge me wherever you go. I want you to follow me. I want you to know, you know what? I'm always with you. I'm not going to leave you. He's with us right now. And he's calling upon us to respond right now with an attitude of worship. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Just put your phones away. I know you've got lunch plans. Those can happen in five minutes. Put your phones away. I want you to close your eyes. We're gonna sing this song, familiar song, and as we do, I just want you to, whatever you need to do in your own heart and mind, you're gonna worship him. Don't worry about people to your right or left. The band's gonna lead you in that place. You can look at the lyrics, you need to look at the lyrics on the screen, but just, we're gonna worship him. That's our response. Part of being this holy priesthood is we've gotta learn how to actually worship God in spirit and truth. And so we're gonna do that right now. So Lord, we just invite you to come, help us. Help us as a people to learn, to grow, to mature in our worship of you.